Triple Zeros. I am your host, Josh Buckhalter. Follow me on Twitter at Josh G. Buck. Hit up the Facebook page, Triple Zeros. And of course, the website is jukesjumps.wordpress.com. And the email address is triple zeros at gmail.com. No E though. Triple zeros, no E. That's of course on Facebook too. Triple zeros, no E. Man, Super Bowl is just a couple of days away. And you know what? I'm, I'm, I was excited and I probably at this point, I'm just ready for it to happen because I think we've all talked about it ad nauseum to a point where we could just get to the game already there's also always that risk of the game not being that exciting so that's part of i think the reason why i'm kind of uh at this point i think we talked about it so much that there's no way that it can live up to it but there is the excitement of seeing a first time head uh head coach getting his shot in kyle shanahan a long time head coach getting another bite at the apple and andy reed and the dynamics and how each of these teams operates the ground game and defense for the San Francisco 49ers and, of course, Patrick Mahomes and that explosive offense and all those weapons on the Kansas City Chiefs. This is a matchup that I think will come down to a lot of what we've seen recently, the, honestly, where these running teams that we've seen throughout the playoffs, we saw it with the Tennessee Titans, the Seahawks, really, too, even though they had Russell Wilson. But really with the Tennessee Titans, they were the epitome of it, a team that was living off of the ground game and their quarterback was kind of a passenger. And what we've seen, I know I'm jumping right into the coverage here, but I kind of I kind of have to get to it. What we've seen is that when that when those teams, those ground teams run into these kind of buzzsaw teams is that it can kind of it not kind of it exposes them. See, the problem is that a lot of them have to jump out to that early lead. And when they do, they like to solve the game away with, you know, more of the rushing attack, which is fine. Except for you oftentimes get the what happens is when you jump out in front of the lead to the Kansas City Chiefs, they're not out of it. Their team is built to kind of come at you in a way that I don't think many teams are really ready for. They're not they're not built to to sustain. That's all we've seen. I think a lot of times Andy Reid offenses and Andy Reid teams kind of fall by the wayside is that they don't really. They're not really built to salt the game away. When they get those leads, it kind of it's kind of alien and foreign to them to try to run the clock out. What you see is a lot of times they get out into those early leads and they have a problem holding on to them because they're not really built to attack a team with their ground game. They are built to attack through the air. And, of course, we all know that it's really a more effective strategy when you are trailing to try to throw. And, obviously, when you are trying to do so, trying to protect the lead – that can lead to stop clocks and ultimately the other team getting the ball back and having more chances. Now, a lot of times the the common strategy is to go for the ground and pound team to try to wear down on the other team and they're going to just kind of run the clock out. But I think that we saw it already with the Titans and with the Ravens before that. The Chiefs do something to these other teams where they can't rest on their laurels that way and those other quarterbacks, those let's be honest, limited quarterbacks in terms of passing the ball have to throw the ball more. And one thing that I will say, and I've been pretty consistent on this about Jimmy Garoppolo, even when I've had to admit that he was doing better than I thought, when you put the pressure on him, he is mistake prone. And I think that'll show up in this game. I think that's what ultimately comes down, what this comes down to. Quarterbacks by design almost, not even almost, but quarterbacks by design determine a lot and as good as that San Francisco defense is, I think Patrick Mahomes is one who they might hold him down for a half, but I don't see them holding him down for an entire game. And there's just so many weapons, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill. You still got Demarcus Robinson. You still got Damian Williams who can run and catch the ball out of the backfield on San Francisco side. They have a lot of weapons. A lot of that is in the backfield with Raheem Mostert, Matt Breida and Devin Coleman. But those, those receivers are pretty dangerous. Emmanuel Sanders and Debo Samuel, then you got the younger guys, the, the the lesser known guys, Kendrick Bourne, and of course George Kittle. Now this is really going to be a matchup with the tight ends of George Kittle and Travis Kelsey going back and forth, uh, basically for I, I think when when it's all said and done, whoever's going to have the best game is everybody's going to run with the narrative of there being the best tight end. But those two should be stars. Now we haven't seen much of Kittle because the Niners haven't had to run much, and Kelsey was more of a blocker in the last game than he made an impact in the air but this one could be one where the outsides are kind of locked up for both teams maybe more so for san francisco but they are are i can see them forcing a lot to both of their star tight end players now there's not a lot of numbers that you haven't heard and you probably heard these ones too but these are ones that i think stick out as you know i don't try to i try not to get too bogged down with the numbers in games especially with something like this 
uh, where there's been two weeks off. There's so much build up for it. I told you about the letdown that's always possible, but I just want to take a chance to run over a couple of these to, to explain where I think that there's going to be some issues for San Francisco. I've told you already, I think this is going to be the, the difference in this is going to be Patrick Mahomes and that offense against the San Francisco defense that'll likely be spread out too thin. First and foremost, you have Kansas City being sixth in the number of RPOs that they've ran this season versus the San Francisco zone defense. Now, the RPO offense, run pass option offense, is built to make zone defense unplayable. The number one lockdown guy in the, the, the shutdown corner for the San Francisco 49ers, Richard Sherman, we know is... He can cover man, but he is much more capable as a zone defender. So we're going to see a lot of Kansas City exposing and making the Kansas, the, the San Francisco defense decide and choose. And how often they can choose right is going to be an issue. Now, San Francisco does have the highest second highest pressure rate, but Kansas City has allowed the second fewest pressures. I'm not sure what's going to win this one because – it's a strength versus strength type of thing. Now, part of the, the pressure that Kansas City has allowed is that Patrick Mahomes doesn't hold on to the ball too long. He can extend plays, but he also gets the ball out of his hands fairly quickly on a fair amount of his plays. So when you look at it, you kind of want to say, well, he's going to have to do something. He's gonna, it's going to be the magic of third down. And I know this is kind of cliche because every game really comes down to it. But San Francisco does increase their blitz percentage immensely going from 18 percent in the uh, first down 27th in the league 21 percent in the second on second down that's 25th in the league and then third down they were a 34th 34 percent 14th in the league so you got Kansas City who's doing very good at at not allowing pressure to get to Patrick Mahomes but you have a 49er defense that can do so increasingly and does so with increasing frequency as the downs go on but more importantly than that, they do it with four linemen. So they also have coverage on the back end. Now, this is going to be where the explosive nature of the Kansas City offense is going to have to win out. I told you about those RPOs. San Francisco, San Francisco is going to have to guess right. And I, I know that's duh, but <laughs> they are going to particularly because there's not going to be that ability to make up when you have... Tyreek Hill running free for a, a fraction of a second because you guessed half a step wrong. Travis Kelsey can move. And I told you about Demarcus Robinson and Damian Williams. They can catch as well and make some plays. And you still have Miko Hardman, Ricky Miko Hardman. Didn't even mention his name before. So this is a lot for this San Francisco offense that relies on the run. Like I said, running is cool, except for when that passing game catches up to you real quick and now you got to throw too. See, the problem is when they... When they know you want to run, they can load up on you and they can still make Jimmy Garoppolo have to beat them. The Shanahan running offense is legendary and they'll probably get their fair share of yards. However, the type of pressure that this Kansas City offense puts on you, puts on teams, I don't think has been is something that, that the 49ers are fully prepared for. Now, I said something similar when they played the Green Bay Packers in the NFC Championship game. We know how that turned out. But I think a lot of that was because the Packers are such a condensed offense. They are Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones, and Aaron Rodgers. And everything else kind of has to just fall in game by game. And that usually works, but that's in the regular season. In the playoffs, every team is good. Well, the pack, the Chiefs' offense is not condensed. It's very diverse, very multiple. And it's offset by a guy in Patrick Mahomes who is more of a magician gunslinger than Aaron Rodgers, at least at this point in his career. Maybe it's because of the the spryness of his young legs or whatever it is. Patrick Mahomes is it. And, I like again, I keep coming back to this, that I think that he's going to ultimately be the difference here. I don't trust Jimmy Garoppolo in a situation such as this where I do believe he's going to have to throw. Why do I believe that? Well, coming in, including the playoffs, San Francisco is averaging 30.2 points per game. Kansas City is averaging 29.8. This is the first time both teams, including the playoffs, are averaging 29 points per game plus. That being said, it's different when you are setting the pace, as the 49ers are accustomed to doing, as opposed to having to keep up in the track meet that is what the Patrick Mahomes, Kansas City Chiefs offense is. Once they get rolling, that's 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 the 
that's the the I think the underlying thing here. When you talk about Mahomes, it's not just what he does; it's the fact that you can hold him down for a half, but he's going to figure out a way. And it might not even show up in the stat sheet, but he'll make enough plays and do enough with his legs and finding Kelsey, and then hand you know, even the handoff. Just I guess the the threat of him pulling it back out and, and chucking it keeps him from committing all the way. But I think when you have to when you are put up head to head like that, if, if you're Jimmy Garoppolo, it's gonna require you to be a lot more secure with the ball than we've seen when he's been put in that situation time and time again. Now, I'm not saying that he he's incapable. I'm just saying I'm not sure that I have the faith that a lot of people seem to have because there's a lot of talk of disrespect and not understanding how that could be possible because the 49ers defense is so bad. And it really is, it's a really, really tough defense. I don't want to take away from anything that they do. But I think that Kansas City is the quintessential modern-day design of a, of a team versus what San Francisco represents, which is the old-school style smash mouth and play some defense. And let's not act like Kansas City's defense has just been trash. It's been good over the postseason. And this is the type of offense that will help them look good because, again, they can focus their efforts on trying to stop the run and then play the pass as a secondary thing. That, man, I just don't feel like that's a recipe for success for the 49ers when this when it's all said and done. Again, I picked against them the entire time, and here they are. But the same thing happened with Tennessee. So I'm going to stick to my guns here and just say that when it's all said and done, it'll be Kansas City 24, San Francisco 17. Something close. I'm not saying that that's going to necessarily be. I mean, I guess I am saying that, but maybe not the final score, but that'll be the margin. It'll be about a touchdown. I think the Kansas City right now is a plus one, plus one and a half, something about that. Something like minus one, minus one and a half. I apologize. Kansas City is the favorite still. But, man, I just don't I just don't see Jimmy Garoppolo pulling it out against Patrick Mahomes. I just don't. Point blank, point blank, period. I know that. It, you can throw out however many numbers about the pass rush and how much time to throw and how good the coverage for the San Francisco 49ers has been and how Andy Reid has not won a Super Bowl and all that. Blah, I don't care. I don't care. When it, when you boil it down, it's going to come down, in my opinion, to Patrick Mahomes versus Jimmy Garoppolo, and I'm taking Patrick Mahomes 11 times out of 10, period. So <laughs> that's my crack analysis for the Super Bowl. I think that you're going to see the ferociousness that that – that quick strike ability of the of the San Francisco front four, the Joey Bosa led group, be a little bit offset by the misdirection and the sleight of hand and everything that is thrown at them. The speed overall of the Kansas City offense. I think this is what Kansas City is built to do. They finally found it. I think they finally get their ring for the first time in fifty some odd years. So that would be great to see for them. Great for Andy Reid. Great for Patrick Mahomes. Not so great for the San Francisco 49ers, although you can't take away an appearance in the Super Bowl. It's also a second year in a row the NFC West has made an appearance in the Super Bowl. I think NFC North needs to change that, and by that I do mean the Chicago Bears, but we'll talk about them in a second. One other quick nugget that came out during Super Bowl week, the host city Miami, Miami Dolphins, said they're switching to aluminum cups for, from paper. Now, I just had to call, talk about this because, you know, they're trying to do this to get rid of waste, and I completely understand that part. However... Do you really think that giving drunk fans something that could be fashioned into some form of a weapon is a really smart idea in a confined space on a team that's really bad? Now it's Miami, so they might not get rowdy like that down there, but you know it's coming, right? It's Florida. You know how that goes. It's coming. That that is that is got disaster written all over it. Now, as I said, the Bears, a couple of thoughts on their offseason. We've already been well covered. Their their coaching changes have already been well covered. There was a bump in Tariq Cohen's play or his pay because of his playing time. Allen Robinson is discussing uh, an extension with the team. Hopefully he gets that signed because he was a stud for us for the Chicago Bears this season. Now, one thing that is being brought back into the forefront is their connection to multiple free agent quarterbacks. Tom Brady, Phillip Rivers, Cam Newton, Andy Dalton, Marcus Mariota have all been linked in one way or another to the Bears. But recently... You've seen more of the Cam Newton connection. Benjamin Albright mentioned it earlier. You saw it retweeted by a couple of the local Chicago bloggers. And here's the thing. My ideal fit for the Chicago Bears, if if they are to address it externally, the position externally with a free agent, is Teddy Bridgewater. I think that 
honestly, in any situation, their best bet would be to throw whatever money it took to get Teddy Bridgewater to be their quarterback for the 2020 season. Anything short of that, I think you're taking a very big risk. And that's coming from a person who is a very big fan of Cam Newton. I think that if he's healthy and right, you have a chance for a, a, a hit, a Super Bowl even. But I think the things have to be right. And there's a lot wrong still with this team. There are some offensive line issues. And we've seen what Cam being abused down in Carolina. Now, I would imagine that Nagy wouldn't run, Matt Nagy wouldn't run Cam Newton nearly as much as he was run down in Carolina, especially coming off those injuries. But you can't overlook the wear and tear and what it's had and then the effect that the offensive line has had on Mitch behind it. He's been hurt three times, a hip and two shoulders. So that's one that I'm not sure I you know, necessarily want to go for. Now, you probably say, wait a minute, why would you want to go to Teddy Bridge? Why would you want to go spend money on any quarterback if you're not going to protect him? I think a more traditional quarterback allows the offensive line to sort of protect better because you know where they're going to be. You hear that from offensive linemen a lot. Now, it's usually because they've been getting beat. However, there is some logic to it. There's a lot of logic to it. Knowing where the quarterback's going to be is something that I think would help them. Now, you've also got the situation in Jacksonville to monitor for the Bears. Uh, will Gardner Minshew maintain the starting job? That seems to be the cry for fans. We'll see what they do. It is the Jaguars. So go, you know, good luck trying to figure out where it's going to ultimately wind up. But Nick Foles could become available. The only way I think Nick Foles makes sense for the Bears is if they get the Jaguars to take on a lot of that salary. He just signed an $88 million contract, I believe, last year, four years, something like that, three years, something like that, for 88 mil. That's too much. You can't pay Nick Foles that. And with Cam, he's on the last year of his deal. I'd have to see him. And, I, I mean, obviously that's what they would do. They want to check out his medicals anyway, but – I think that if you're going to go any one of those routes, you kind of have to throw the money at Teddy. I th- that's where I that's where I wind up. Cam, I like I like the idea of possibly getting Nick Foles. I'm not really big on Brady. I think Brady needs a offensive line that we that the Bears don't have right now. I think that Philip Rivers is Mitch with an attitude, not a bad attitude. Just I'm saying, you know, a little smack talk going on. And Andy Dalton, Marcus Mariota, Alex Smith, just know. Just no, I don't. I, the Andy Dalton stuff. Look, man, I know they hired the coaches, and that would make that's logical in that sense. But in terms of trying to improve the team, I just don't see it. I've seen the comparisons to bringing in Mariota, and he could do like Ryan Tannehill did to him, and I don't see that there either. I don't think that he has the type of qualities other than being an accurate quarterback when healthy, which is a big one. But he's not never healthy. He's not a leader, and you are going to wind up having a, a college situation where you're splitting between him and Mitch, depending on what the situation is, it's just going to be ugly. I think that if they're going to address it externally, you go all in on Teddy Bridgewater. Nick Foles, if you can get the Jaguars to t- pick up the tab, or Cam Newton are solid fallbacks, but I don't think I go anywhere beyond that. And again, that's including the Brady and the Rivers because of specific needs for them that I think the Bears wouldn't have. And I don't necessarily know if they fit the offense, and we know Matt Nagy is not changing his offense to fit anybody. So <laughs> that being said, it's just a, it's it's an early, early busy off season, but it's not necessarily been busy in terms of making anything actually productive happen with the team. We're kind of still sitting and waiting, hope find, trying to find out where everything's going to go. I just wrote for last word on pro football about how the pass rush is going to be under a lot of pressure going forward. They were really good in terms of getting pressure. They were, I think, sixth in pressures, but they were twenty fourth in sacks. That's not great. That's the problem that and, and and you hear a lot of days a lot of times now that sacks are overrated. And I agree to an extent, but I think we say it so much that now that it's almost to the point where they've become undervalued. See, the thing is getting pressure does hurry the quarterback. It does force the ball to come out quicker than they like. It does throw off the timing. But a sack is literally taking yards off the board. It's pushing the offense back. It's, it it halts so much momentum to get a sack rather than just hurrying and getting an incompletion. The In crunch time, the clock keeps running. There's so many benefits to that. Again, I don't necessarily think that it's the end-all, be-all of determining how effective a pass rush is, but I do think that we are approaching a point where we are letting the analytics dictate to us more than what our instincts already know. A sack is basically a drive killer. I don't know the numbers. I'm not going to throw out any type of... 9 out of 10, 7 out of 8, anything anything like that. But a sack it does so much damage 
to an offensive an offense's drive that it is imperative that they get more. And this is, of course, after they had about 50 last year. They were so much better in 2018 than 2019, and it was just in finishing plays. Like I said, they were really good in getting pressure, but they just weren't good at getting home. And a lot of that is due to not having the complementary pieces along that front. You start off with the Keen Hicks and Khalil Mack, and that was good. It was still, it was it was a really really good front. Then you were kind of missing that third wheel. Leonard Floyd is an all around guy, and I wrote in there how the the brass loves him. But I think that they're making a mistake committing the thirteen plus million for a guy who's an all around guy when they need that other sack gear, that other pressure generator. Because we saw when Akeem Hicks went down and teams were able to focus on Leonard Floyd or on Khalil Mack, excuse me, there wasn't anything else going on on the other side. You had six sacks from Nick Williams, but like Floyd, I know I'm picking on him a lot, but man, his sacks totals have gone down each year to from seven his rookie year, I believe it was, to three, and a lot of those have come against the Packers. It's just not a good, good look. And then for them to get up there and, and tell people to their face, well, he does so many things. We know what that he's there for. He can do so many things, but he's there to get after the quarterback and he just doesn't do it consistently. So on the interior behind, they, they have depth. The, the, the middle of the Bears defense is very sound depth wise in terms of tackle and linebacker. You saw Nick Williams appear out of nowhere. You had Roy Robinson Harris fill in admirably when Akeem Hicks went down. Bilal Nichols missed some time, but even he had some games. He started to get his form back towards the end of the year. They could use some more depth, I guess, but they just really need more health. You lost Dan Trevathan. You lost Roquan for some time. Nick Wachowski played well. Kevin Pierre-Lewis won me over. Iggy won me over. But that outside, that other pass rusher, They've got to figure something out. I don't think you can run into another season with Floyd because even with Akeem Hicks back, you still need another pass rusher. Now, chances are they try to find that person through the draft, but I did suggest in that article that maybe they go out and look at a guy like a Carl Nassib from Tampa Bay. Now, there's a good chance that he's back in Tampa, but they do have to pay Shaq Barrett. We'll see what they do with Jason Pierre-Paul. But if those two are getting the money, there could be a, a, a chance where Carl Nassib comes here. He's a bigger defensive end, I think 6'5", 270 around there. He could play the strong side, play the run, get, get Khalil Mack off those plays. And it could be a situation like Barrett's where he goes to another team and where he was being – he's been used rotationally this year with Tampa. And Barrett was so with the Broncos. He could come here, and Nassib could – to Chicago and carve out a nice role. He could battle for the position and likely win it out because he gave you six sacks, gave the Bucks six sacks in a rotational role. So I just think that there's a lot of opportunity out there for Leonard Floyd to make plays that he doesn't. Again, the brass sees it one way. I think a lot of fans see it the other way. A lot of people following this team see it, the, see it the other way. We'll see if they address it and how they address it in the coming weeks and months prior to and after the draft, really. Going to take a quick quick break and then talk about some NBA stuff. Obviously a big story that happened uh, this past week. I did not go live right after, but we'll talk about that coming up in a moment. Right. I don't think the game's over. Back on Triple Zeros and we're switching gears to the NBA. Again, follow me on Twitter at Josh G. Buck. Hit up the Facebook page, Triple Zeros, no ease. Hit up the website, jukesandjumps.wordpress.com. And the email address is triple zeros at gmail.com. No ease. NBA action. First and foremost, I want to start off by saying rest in peace, Kobe Bryant and Gianna Bryant tragically passed in the helicopter crash on Sunday. Very, very rough day, emotional day for the sports world. The tributes have been pouring in. They were discussing changing the NBA logo. There were suggestions from a lot of people on social media. Listen, I've encountered a lot of people who have pushed back on this and said that they don't understand it and they don't get it and they don't appre- They don't think that it should change because a lot of people don't know. I think that, personally, my opinion is that the basketball world seems, if the basketball world wants it, then so be it. The people that I talked to weren't necessarily what I would consider in the basketball world. That's not a, that's not a knock against them. That's just saying that this is probably not for them anyway. This will be for people who are in the basketball world. This is what they do. This is their life. This is their livelihood. So I don't really have an issue with it. The rumors are that uh, the current logo, Jerry West is no longer, no longer wants to be 
the logo. So I mean, if you're looking for somebody to put on there, I could, I, I'm not. I wouldn't be against it. I'm not necessarily advocating for it, but I definitely don't have an issue with it. And I actually think it would be a good idea if they were to do it, because I totally see why and where they're coming from and the purpose of it. Secondly, you have a lot of players saying that they're going to change their jersey numbers to retire eight and twenty-four across the league. You've had a couple say no. Most notably, we're not most notably, but locally concerning Zach Levine and Lowry Markin and Zach is eight, Lowry is twenty-four. Both have said they will keep their numbers in order to commemorate Kobe. Now, I've been I guess you consider waffling on this, but it's not really that. It's really kind of just going with what I said. Now, if this was an entire league-wide movement and a lot of the and every player was was pretty much on board, and it was just them, because I think I heard that Alize Johnson, Ford Alize Johnson from the Pacers, was also on this board of not wanting to change his number because of Kobe. I think that if they were holding up everybody else and the the actual plan to retire the numbers league-wide from going forward. I think that that would be selfish and that would be bad. If it's a few players who have really just gone about this, I know Spencer Dinwiddie is changing to number 25, I believe it is, 26, something like that. If it's just a few players, then everybody can go ahead and do what they want to do. I don't like the, this is just my personal, so it really doesn't, it doesn't shake how they feel about it. But I, it just sounds weird when they say, oh, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to honor them this way, as opposed to the way that I, that, that, were the suggestion the suggested way of honoring i just found that a bit we odd only because it seemed like a selfish take on it but again maybe the response would be different if the actual groundswell to do it was a lot bigger so from the outside looking in that would be cool i've seen i've heard plenty of pushback on that as well i don't really care i think that it'd be cool i think that if Again, this is another one of the things that I'm not going to necessarily go out advocating for. But if, if, if it was the players, if it was a, a, the majority of players were down for it and it was a couple of guys holding up, I do think it would be foul for those few guys to hold up the, the mass movement. And in a similar story to the Dolphins one, just uh huh, the there was a news anchor and I won't mention her name. But in describing the tragedy. She decided to let it slip out the word a word that was interpreted by many to be a derogatory term, a slur. And her explanation left at least me reminiscent to a, a simpler time just a few short weeks ago. So she's saying she combined the terms Nick, the, the Knicks and the Lakers, and it came out Nakers. I'm going to let you go ahead and use your imagination to figure out what everybody is saying. She said, you know, listen, not here to make a judgment on it. What I will tell you is that I, my mind immediately went back to, to Beeline. She's got to be some kind of kin to John Beeline, the Cavs coach, because if you recall, John Beeline was recently in hot water for telling his players that they were out there playing like they're, they're, they're thugs. <laughs> so I, I just, I, Freudian slip that, you know, you can say what you want to say, but that's what you said. The Nakers one is kind of like the Yandy thing and the blue dress, blue or the white dress, blue gold dress. You, you, if you want to hear it, you hear it, I guess. Uh, you know, that's what some people are saying. Um, I'm not sure that I, I completely agree. I just know that, uh, woo, woo. As soon as I heard that, boy, I, I my mind immediately <laughs> went to John Beeline. And I know John Beeline was like, yes, thank you. Thank you. It's not just, see, it's not just me. Somebody else is out here messing up their words too. Quick go around the NBA. Carl Anthony Towns called out the Minnesota Timberwolves in very Jimmy Butler-like fashion, saying that the guys need to get on board. It's interesting that he's doing so because they are just floundering and really seem like they don't know what they're trying to build out there, but they're getting a really good season from Andrew Wiggins. And that's an interesting take on it. You know, that's an interesting little tidbit. Wiggins is having great success, but the team is not really doing much. So, you know, we like to parse out whose stats matter and whose don't. You have to wonder if this Wiggins improvement is really what it seems to be. Beyond. So I haven't watched him in the Timberwolves games, but I do know that seeing him call out his teammates, not as rough as Jimmy did, obviously, but still calling them out and saying that they need to be focused more and more all in. I mean, Cat won't be there long. I know that they've been trying to get him help, but we know how hard it is for Minnesota to attract free agents. Damn near impossible. 
they have to trade a lot to to get those kind of guys unless they find them in the draft. And I see Cat going away before I see anybody coming there willingly. Again, trade is always possible, but I just don't know. And then I'm not sure that's like what you do. What do they bring in? I know they were looking at sniffing around point guards, but this seems like a team that might just kind of have to be prepare themselves to blow it up again. You might need to move Cat for all you can get and build around Jared Culver. I mean, if if it's like this, I just don't see how you're going to improve. You have to, teams like like Minnesota have to kind of get a core and build that core up around the set so they can all mature at the same time. Because if you get in part by part by part, you're going to lose somebody in that shuffle over time because they just have a hard time retaining players. That's just the way it is. That's the way a lot of teams are. Uh, in the Bulls division, you have the Pacers. You saw what happened with Paul George. This is how it goes in, I don't want to say small market, but smaller market teams. If they don't win, they don't get those players back to back to back to back in draft. They have a hard time sustaining any type of winning ways because they just don't have the petty. They don't have the, the talent level to maintain it. And of course, I couldn't be, I couldn't let anything keep going if I didn't mention it. But Zion Williamson did have a an historic start to his NBA career. They are talking about this young man and how he, as I pull up the numbers here, everything takes forever when you're trying to explain your point to anybody. But they're talking about Zion had 72 points, 33 rebounds, and 63%, 63% field goal percentage in his first four games in the NBA. He's the third player in the lottery era, era since 1985 with 70 points, 30 rebounds, and 50% field goal percentage in his first four games, joining Shaq and David the Admiral Robinson. Zion's a beast, dude. I, I've been pleasantly surprised by a lot of these rookies who I was considering to be limited in ways that they weren't talking about enough and coming out of college and blah, blah, blah. I became a talking head, and shame on me for doing so because I, I just wasn't believing what my eyes were telling me. Zion's the truth. The kid can play. It, it's it's wonderful to see because the city of New Orleans needed it after everything they've been dealt with, how ownership has handled a lot of stuff and how players have handled a lot of stuff and just how things have gone for them. Good to see them have another one on their hands who looks like he can be a special, special player. Chris Middleton had 50 points the other night. Thought you wanted to know on 70% shooting. Thought you wanted to know. He made the all-star team. People are complaining. He missed 20 games, so I get it. I get it. But I think if he's not a superstar, he is—he definitely is an all-star. And we'll talk about more of the all-star snubs and everything in a minute. But there's two in particular that I think stand out among among the rest of them. Three, really. But uh, another news: the Portland Trailblazers and Damian Lillard seem to be on fire. Three and one in their last four games. Dame notched his first career triple double against Russ. If you don't know, they've had a lot of back and forth and. Russ was talking the entire game, telling Dame, you know, what's what's y'all ranking? What seed are y'all? And this, that, and the third. Meanwhile, Dame is pulling up logo trips and just eyeballing Russ the whole time. And this is his first career triple-double. And to get it against Russ, I know that had to be special because they were close at one point and just it seems like, you know, iron sharpening iron to Russ. You know what he says? He has no friends on the court but the ball. So he goes, it seems like he goes at the people that he was friends with the hardest. But it was a lot of ticky-tack stuff in this game, and I got to be honest, man, the Rockets have let me down this year. As much as I've been trying to pump them up and talk about how hard it's been great and stop hating because Jimmy likes them, and you know, if you follow this, you know Russ is my boy, but damn it, man. <laughs> Houston makes it hard to be any have any type of faith in them because they just let you down routinely whenever they're faced with any type of real competition, even when they're not, a lot of times you see them struggle. It's just, it's it's a one-trick pony for two guys, and I'm not sure that they're going to ever be anything better than an also-ran, especially when you have those two guys who seem to kind of do more damage than the cause of winning than, than, than actual winning when it all is said and done, and then Mike D'Antoni, who's pretty much them as a coach. This is the, the triumvirate of... of Heading into the brick wall. The definition of insanity is these three guys doing the same things and trying to get a different result. It's just wild to see. I'm just disappointed. Let down. I feel let down by the Rockets. Man, I thought they'd be a lot better than they are. They've been good. They've still been good, but I think that they've shown some clear flaws against some of the better teams in the in the West. That's an issue. Luka Doncic. I've been. I told you every time there's Luka news, I will make a note of it because I have got to make amends for my Luka slander. 
Luca injured his ankle. He will have MRI to determine the severity of it, but keep an eye on that because we've already seen that, uh, man, injuries take guys out. Marvin Bagley's out again for, I think they said another three weeks. That is, that's rough. That the Kings, Kings, man, if you felt bad as a Bulls fan that they, the Bulls didn't trade to go get Luca, feel bad as a Kings fan that they let Luca go right past them. They had, they could have gotten him and didn't. Let, let that sell in for you. Nick's Pacers had a nasty little kerfuffle. One of my favorite words to describe sports fights that ain't going to never go nowhere. Kerfuffle. Alfred Payton pushed Jay Crowder, who stole the ball with 18 seconds. Of, they were up double digits, and he took it, ran to the corner, and shot a three. Uh, Alfred Payton pushed him. Alfred Payton said, nah, son. He wasn't going for it, and I think that, you know, I can't blame Payton for being mad. But I think pushing Crowder in the air is something that you don't need to do. Wait till he comes down. I Look, if he just let him land and then pushed him, I wouldn't even care. Yes, he's flying into people, but pushing him in the air, he can injure himself and those people because that's a big dude. 6'6", six, six, falling on some people. That's not, you know, that's not good. And then in the post game, you had Marcus Morris talking about Jay Crowder has some female tendencies to him and that he's he's soft and as you could that went about as well as you would imagine it went on the twitter after that uh i don't think that marcus was trying to insult anybody but uh that didn't matter so you know he was trying to insult jay jay crowder but crowder was probably the least insulted by that and the one who took least time to even address it going into the next day. I do want to go back and talk about that a little bit more about Dame's numbers over the past four games. 61 points, 10 rebounds, 7 assists on 11 threes. 47.6 rebounds, 8 assists on 8 threes. 50.6 rebounds, 13 assists on 8 threes. 36 points, 10 rebounds, 11 assists on 6 threes. He is averaging 48.58 rebounds, 9.7 assists, and 8.2 threes per game in his last four while the Blazers are three and one, had to address that. Had it pulled up, was not going to let it go without mentioning it. I think that that warrants it. Now, talking about some other quick NBA tonight, another team that's disappointed me, Philadelphia, because every time I cheer for them and try to and try to you know stand and tell everybody how great they're really going to be and that they're going to be my team, they're my team coming out of the East, buddy. Let me tell you, they go and do something like lose one hundred twenty-seven to one seventeen to the Atlanta Hawks. Ah. <sighs> It's rough, man. Try to have a little faith, and then they go on lay eggs like that. Listen, I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna beat on them too much, but that was bad. Maybe not as bad as the Clippers losing to those Kings. I was telling you about 124 to 103. That might be the worst one of the night, to be honest with you. But you know, Clippers not really worried about regular season, man. People keep trying to talk about how they're not ready and they're gonna falter and they need to get this and they need to get that. I am a staunch believer that the Clippers are just trying to make it through regular season. Just make it to the play. They wouldn't care. They were the eight seed. Just make it. Also notice that that talk of locker room stuff is kind of quieted. I won't say it's gone away, but it's definitely quieter than it was a couple of weeks ago. Just saying. Things get things get said in the heat in the moment. People get sat down after those things are said, and the truth comes out, and it gets handled and usually goes just like this. Star players get their way on teams. I'm not sure who said it. I have my guesses, my thoughts on it, but... They apparently hadn't been around star hadn't been around star players ever because that's how it goes. And those two players are going to bring you a championship if they can stay healthy. Now, I I personally am sticking with my pick of the Lakers coming out of the West and ultimately getting that trophy, especially with some extra motivation for them this year. But Clippers are a very very tough team for the Lakers to get out and. If they were to win, I wouldn't be surprised. Let me put it that way. That that that's the best way I think I could put that one. I'm picking the Lakers, but I definitely wouldn't be surprised if the Clippers were the the team to make it. NBA All Star came. the The votes starters were announced a couple of days ago. You got Giannis and LeBron. Obviously, we know how that goes. The starters, all ten starters. We're not gonna I'm not I'm not dividing them or anything like that. I'm just telling you who the two captains are, LeBron and Giannis. And you got Anthony Davis, Joel Embiid, Kimba Walker, Luka Doncic, James Harden, Kawhi Leonard, Pascal Siakam, Trey Young. First-timers in Luka and Pascal, Trey, and Kimba. But more important than that, you have some clear, clear snubs when you start looking at the reserves compared to the starters, compared to who didn't make it. So, 
on the reserves, Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Butler, both of the Miami Heat. You have forward Chris Middleton from the Milwaukee Bucks, Demonis Sabonis forward, center from the Indiana Pacers, and Jason Tatum. Then you also have Kyle Lowry, Ben Simmons, Nikola Jokic, Damian Lillard, Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, Brandon Ingram, Chris Paul, and Russell Westbrook. Now listen, Chris Paul is leading a team in the Thunder that is fighting for the playoffs when they were supposed to be floundering and he was supposed to be making his way to South Beach. So I commend him for that. I'm still not sure that he is making, he should be making it at 17 points per game over Devin Booker, who's averaging 27 points per game. I think he's the first one to do it since like LeBron or something like that. I got to pull that one up, but Devin Booker probably should have gotten the nod. I know that they're going to, they're, they're, it seems like they're focusing more on winning. However, when you look at Trigger Trey over in the East and his hogs who are cellar dwellers, he made it and you get him snubbed over a guy like Bradley Beal who's averaging 25 plus points a game. So I'm not sure where they were going with this. It seems like it was a lot of a popularity contest and that's cool and all, but it's supposed to be the best players and I don't think a lot of people are sufficiently satisfied that that's the case. Before Devin Booker, no player had ever averaged 27 points per game and six assists on 60% true shooting and missed the All-Star game. So we're seeing a lot of first times. Now also, more local again, Zach Levine was considered to be a snub. I'm not sure that I consider him a snub. I think a lot of it is the incomplete nature of his game. I saw a comparison to how they were doing Damian Lillard. And I agree to an extent that Dame was kind of was knocked for that lack of completeness to his game. Well, Zach, you don't really see the playmaking. You see a lot of the... Now, he did have nine assists the other night, nine-plus assists the other night. I think he might have reached double digits on that one. I got to check. But 25 points per game. He's averaging more points per game than Jimmy Butler, Kyle Lowry, Ben Simmons, Chris Middleton, Jason Tatum, and Adebayo and Sabonis. Now, as this is a a post from Bulls Talk on Twitter, those aren't everything, but they're leaving an elite scorer out of the All-Star game. I wholeheartedly agree wholeheartedly agree you kind of have to again you want to say that it's because of the winning and Sabonis people want to take Sabonis off but he's averaging like 18 and 12 he's the second leading scorer on that team and giving him 12 plus boards a game and they're fifth in them in the in the east like they're they're doing really well now I at a bio you got at a bio and Jimmy at a bio first year start I know people like him that one might be a bit of a stretch I I have a hard time rooting for anybody who is on a team that's struggling as badly as the Bulls are and who and with Levine has put up a lot of empty buckets this year because he's done a lot of you know shot hunting, a lot of bucket hunting where he's put up some shots that maybe that weren't great, but man, I I just don't think that you put Chris Middleton in over him at 20 points per game even though his team is doing great. He still missed two months of the game, and he has, um. oh, that's right, the MVP on his team. I, I don't know how. It's in Chicago. It's in, it's in Chicago. And he didn't make it as a reserve. That's criminal. That's criminal. And it's almost a shot at the Chicago Bulls and telling you that your organization doesn't deserve to even be recognized in your home city at the All-Star game. Maybe Zach joins the dunk contest. Aaron Gordon has is confirmed. But, man. It's 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 Rudy Gobert cried last year for it. You can talk about me if you want to, but he he complained that he wasn't getting recognized. Brandon Ingram got traded to another team for a superstar, and is averaging twenty five points per game. He earned his stuff. I'm not saying Rudy Gobert doesn't, doesn't deserve to be there, but let's not act like he he's a two time Defensive Player of the Year. Let's not act like he's not like he didn't go out there and and make some noise about why he didn't make it. Now. Kyle Lowry, all-star, is a funny one, not because of him, but because he is a master of the little things and not really an exciting player to watch. He's a player that a lot of people will say is kind of boring to watch because he's really good at doing the little things and not really a flashy type guy. I could see that one not making it, too. It's it's it's, it's weird. It's a weird group that they picked. The one that throws everything off, though, I think, is Trey Young. Because you can't say it's about winning when you have him on there. I I know that he's an exciting player for people to watch. But there's no way that you can justify 
snubbing Zach Levine. Now Trey's averaging almost 30 points per game. Let me not <laughs> 30, 30, not 29.2 and nine assists. So let's not, let me not say he's not putting up the stats, but he's putting up stats on a bad team. If the argument against Zach is that his stats are hollow, Trey Young is, is what Will Smith's meme is pointing at when he's presenting. Like that's, I don't know how you can argue against that. So that's where I fall. And then Chris Middleton again. 20 points, three assists, five boards, but you missed two months, and you have Giannis on your team. Devin Booker, 27 plus. I, I don't know what they're doing. I don't know. What I don't know what's going on. Bradley Beal should have been over Trey Young. I I like Trey Young. I, that's the worst part. It's hard because you arguing this stuff, and I know there's only so many spots you can get, but it seems like they tried to force in the first-year guys to try to spice things up. We already talked about – we didn't talk about we'll talk about that in a second. So they're trying to force in some first-year guys. That was kind of part of the announcement. You got first-year guys in Trey and Pascal Siakam. You got – I think they went a little bit overboard, though, in trying to make sure that that happened. Luca's first year, but he was going to make it. Luca or Luca, Luca was going to get there, okay? Let me not, let me not act like Luca wasn't going to make it. Luca was going to make it. Trey, though, look, I ah, – 29, 29. That's all I can say. That's but you knocked off Beal, you knocked off Zach, and Devin Booker. Devin Booker's Devin Booker might have the worst because he's got the scoring. Like I gave you those stats, and then they're losing. But Trey, Trey is kind of just the, the the theory buster. He's just a theory buster. Then there was word that the All Star Game will be making some changes. To the format, there will be four quarters, obviously still, but at the end of each quarter, the score will be set to zero, and at the fourth quarter, the totals will be aggregated, and the team with the higher total, the the they will have to, okay, so see how confusing this is already? After each quarter, the scores will be set to zero, so you can win each quarter. When the fourth quarter comes around, the totals will be added up, and whatever the higher total is, you'll have to add 24 to that, and that'll be the target point total for the game to end. So, if Team A has 100, 124 is the target total. Or 100, and then the other team has 90 points. That means that they have to get 24 points to win. The other team needs to get 34 points to win. It's supposed to make it more competitive. I'm not sure how, because if you have a lead going into the fourth quarter, and it's double digits, I feel like the other team is just going to give up anyway, because it's the All-Star game. There was talks of adding the tournament similar to the basketball tournament that goes on every summer. They're just trying to fish out anything right now, but they're really risking this going the way of the Pro Bowl, especially when you have the selection that you have. I'm not sure how well this is going to go. You don't have the whole city represented in the game. You're trying to get them to go to the dunk contest. That's kind of like a smack. Hey, you know, you can come around here. You are going to be in the wintertime. It's going to be cold. This is going to be cold, so, you know, deal with that. And then you got this Aki format that people are saying is going to be exciting, but I feel like it's overdone. Listen, if you're going to reset every quarter, reset the fourth quarter too, and then just whoever gets to 24 first, make it go to 24 every quarter. I feel like they just, this is just going overboard. One step too far. I feel like it was on the right path. One step too far. That's all. That's it. That's all. I'm not sure how it's going to work out. Interested to see it. I'll probably check it out for at least a little bit, but this seems like a bit much. And then wrap it up with a little bit of Bulls talk because there will be a Bulls article coming out on Pippin Ain't Easy about the Bulls and a couple of wing players. Just a quick little taste taste about what that's going to be. Boylan's rotations are, are ridiculous still. They had Chandler Hutchins go for career high 21 points on 71% shooting, but Boylan pulled them to go to a rotation of nine scorers and kind of blew the game down the stretch for the Bulls. Now, Hutchinson did allow the game-tying three-pointer from Victor Oladipo, who made his return, to send the game in overtime. But pulling him, is that's counterproductive to a team like this, especially. A team that's not great, you kind of should let guys play through some mistakes. Some mistakes. Not egregious ones, but some mistakes. And to his credit, Hutchinson acknowledged that he should have had his feet down on defense. This will be part of the article that comes out tomorrow. But... The other other wing that you got to keep an eye on is Denzel Valentine. And you just wonder with the skill set that he has as a playmaker and as an outside scorer, why doesn't he get more burn? And I say that as he just released his new video for his introduction single, his new single introduction. And I, I still have to argue for it, though, because he can help the team on the court. Just it's funny. It's a great video. 
go check it out on Instagram. Go check out his his video. But I wonder if he if he would play a little bit smarter would that would that cure it all? We know he popped up in the video in the picture, uh, the video in the bar window. So maybe it's some decision making outside of the court, outside of the basketball, that is keeping him off. But if he was to to maybe shoot less and be more of a playmaker, be more of a point forward, he would be on the floor a lot more because I think that Sado probably is a better passer, better pure passer. But the threat of of Denzel scoring would be so much more valuable down the stretch when they the Bulls often look disjointed because Sato won't shoot. He's just not looking to shoot often enough. Now, that's just not his game. That's not a knock on him. And when he does get going, he can have some really good games. But Denzel with Kobe and Zach, when he gets back Lowry, when he gets back Wendell, that's a pretty nice combination if it was all work out. I, look, look, both he, Vince Valentine, and Hutch are young players. And... This is the point in time I think the Bulls should figure out what they had. Now, they've been trying to move Denzel and Hutch dealt with injury. But with how their with how they bank account set up going in next year, and you know Auto's going to pick up that option, they might be better off trying to keep these guys and see if they can work out anything, see what they can get out of them going forward, see what, what their actual ceiling is. They've been giving enough time to Lowry and see what he can do. I think that you should at least see what you can do with these young guys. Maybe if you're If you're going to start piecing out anything – I think that you're going to have to give up, get rid of some good players to get rid of some of those bad contracts first because you're not even in a position as a bad team to take on bad contracts to attach the first-round picks because you don't have any money. And the cap is going to be lowered by about a, a million that they thought it would be for next year. It's not a lot, but still, it's enough to where they don't have that extra help. So be on the lookout for that. Pippin ain't easy. The, the, looking for the wins in these wings, man. Pippin ain't easy. The Chicago Bulls. I just I want them to be so much better, but it just seems like they're frustrating and they just seem like they do a lot of the damage themselves to themselves. So that's something to keep an eye on. That's gonna do it for this episode of Triple Zeros. Follow me on Twitter at Josh G. Buck. Hit up the Facebook page, Triple Zeros No Ease. Hit up the website, jukesjumps.wordpress.com. And of course, the email address is triple zeros at gmail.com. No ease. You know what to do. Until the very next time. Purple, 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 purple,